I don't know um, how many of you uh, get the BBC app on your phone, uh, but on the 4th of January, I read about two fishermen, a guy called Kev and another guy called Cam, who were laying crab traps in a crocodile-infested mangrove swamp near Darwin. And they suddenly heard this cry coming from the mangroves. They went over and they discovered a naked man clinging to a mangrove branch over the water. And as they approached him, the man begged them for water. So they gave him a bottle of water, as you can see, which he drank with gusto. This man was Luke von Skrineski, was his name, and he mumbled to them something about a New Year's Eve party he'd been to. And so the men thought he'd obviously had a pretty good time and he probably got lost on the way home. That was four days earlier. He told them that he'd been living on snails for the last four days. And he was just so thirsty. He was almost completely dehydrated. Not only did he guzzle lots of water, but they invited him into a boat. They covered his nakedness. They gave him a spare pair of shorts that they happened to have in the thing, and they gave him a beer to drink, and they motored him back to the jetty. When they got to the jetty, they rang up, rang up the hospital, and the hospital immediately sent an ambulance around and collected him because he was in very bad shape. Well, the next day... Cam and Kev thought they would visit their friend in the hospital to see how he was getting on. And they discovered the man was chained to his hospital bed with two policemen on either side. The 40-year-old man was in fact an escaped fugitive, a man who'd cut his ankle bracelet and breached bail for armed robbery. He'd been on the run for four days. Now, I don't know what your experience of thirst has been. Perhaps you get thirsty after surfing, or perhaps you get thirsty after gardening, or going for a walk or a cycle ride. I often feel really thirsty when I first wake up in the morning, which probably shows that I should be drinking a lot more water. But the other day I was down at AutoCare uh, talking to the lady down there, and I saw this poster just behind her on the wall. In this heat, you, know the signs of, you need to know the signs of dehydration. Fatigue, headaches, dry mouth, weakness, rapid heartbeat, dry flushed skin, muscle cramps. And I thought, oh, can I take a photo of that? I'm going to preach about this in a week or so's time. She said, oh, that should be an interesting message. I don't see her here, though. But anyway, never mind. Can you imagine the water of life thirsting? Can you imagine that? Today we're continuing our journey on the cries on the cross. When Jesus cried out, I am thirsty, which was the penultimate cry that he cried out before he gave up his spirit. It's the height of agony and abandonment. It's the depths of hell and the grave. He'd been on the cross for six hours following his time in Gethsemane where he'd sweated blood over this decision to go through with it. In front of the 
high priests, they grabbed his beard and they ripped part of his beard out of his face. And then he went a severe flogging by the Romans, a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, and large nails driven through his wrists and his ankles. And there he was, hanging on the cross, naked in front of the world for six hours as his life drained away. And he cried out, I thirst. I thirst. You know, dehydration can be very common, particularly in the throes of death. I've noticed this with the elderly. I recall many years ago sitting with Sue's dad in his room in Taupo, um, where he was near death. And what he craved for was he craved for something to wet his lips. And his wife, Jessa, my mother-in-law, used to go and get him some, um, some ginger beer ice blocks that she'd frozen just so that he could lick it and taste it. That's what he needed. That's what he wanted. Now, Jesus was totally dehydrated. The question is, what does thirst mean? Thirst obviously means it's an unmet desire for moisture. That's what thirst is. And apparently the Swedish word for thirst is related to the word for fire. Often those who are physically dehydrated talk about a burning sensation in their mouth. Now the phrase, I thirst, has a world of meaning. Jesus is not just speaking about his physical thirst, although that was paramount. He's speaking about other unmet desires that he had. And I want to unpack those for you now. The first one is an obvious one. The first one is that Jesus, that when he said, I thirst, it was his identification with the human condition. He was a human being. His natural thirst proves to all of us that though Jesus was fully God, he was fully man. It was back in the 5th century that a famous council called the Council of Chalcedon um, determined that this theology of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man. And this is very important. He was two natures united in one person. He's completely unique. There no other religion can claim a God who was a man. No other religion can claim that. And this is a profound mystery. And we will never fully understand it because we're so human. And we grasp this truth by faith. Um, Paul put it this way, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, Jesus showed us many, many traits that he was fully human. He grew up in a family. He ate. He slept. He got tired. He worked for a living. He experienced the breakdown of family life. He got frustrated when his friends couldn't understand his mission and him. He got angry at injustice, and he wept in sympathy when he was overcome by the death of a friend. He wept in sympathy. And here he thirsted. He thirsted for moisture. 
Jesus echoed the cry of David in Psalm 22 that says this, My strength is gone, gone like water, spilled on all the ground. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like melted wax. My throat is as dry as dust, and my tongue sticks to the roof of the mouth. You have left me for dead in the dust. You know, the humanity of Jesus is incredibly important to understand and to, and to hold on to. I've heard people say, oh, Jesus was God, so he could just do anything that he wanted. He's not really like us at all. But here he says, I thirst. Angels don't thirst. God certainly doesn't thirst. Only humans and animals and plants thirst. Jesus, being fully God, was fully human. God with skin on. Here is the water of life crying out, I thirst. I recall many years ago a man who I got talking to about faith issues and he said, oh, I find it really difficult to believe in God, but I can believe in Jesus because he experienced so many things that I do. And that's the nub of the point. There are so many things that you and I experience that Jesus has experienced too. And so he understands. He understands when we're carrying burdens. He understands when we're upset. He understands when we're angry about injustice. He understands these things. This is so important because it helps us to understand that Jesus identifies with humanity. He identifies with us in our struggles and in our difficulties as well as our joys and blessings. So that's the first reason why he called I thirst. The second reason is this. Jesus experienced soul thirst. The psalmist said, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants after you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. You know, all human beings on this planet were created and designed to be in a relationship with God. We were designed for that purpose. The 16th century Scottish theologians, Henry Scalgill, said this, the soul of man hath in it a raging and inextinguishable thirst. This is what we call soul thirst, spiritual thirst. And only when we reach out to God, to Jesus, our Savior, the water of life, can that thirst be satisfied. Now, Jesus experienced on the cross... The absence of God the Father. As darkness covered him at midday and wrapped the Son of God in the sins of the world, Jesus experienced the absence of his heavenly Father for three hours. He was abandoned by God. He fully tasted soul thirst. He tasted hell. Hell is a place and a state where a person experiences no relief from their torment because of the absence of the presence of God. So to be the Son of Man, Jesus now experiences the very worst human condition that a man can taste, or a woman can taste, and that is the absence of God the Father. He tasted temptation in the wilderness, he tasted desertion by his friends. 
He'd tasted hatred by his own country folk, and now he'd even tasted exclusion from his family, and now he tastes hell, the absence of God. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told one of his most salutary stories. He painted a vivid picture of hell. He spoke more about hell in this passage than he did of heaven. It concerned a rich man and a poor man called Lazarus. At the end of their earthly lives, the rich man was buried and went to hell, and the poor man went straight to heaven. And Jesus described hell like this, a place of torments, a place of flames, which the rich man wanted the poor man simply to come and dip his finger in water and dip his tongue, and a place of complete separation from God that no one can cross over. Now, the point of the story is this, that the rich man had spent his entire life living in soul thirst. He was filling his life with all the good material things of life, money, materialism, houses, sex, power, all these things. He was filling his life with those things, but they had never satisfied him because he had this deep longing that only the soul only Jesus can fill. A famous author called Craig Loudsborough said this, there's a deep dryness in the soul, there's a deep dryness of the soul and all the recalcitrant contrivances, that's a long word, that means all the things that man can think of, to quench their thirst will bring not a single drop of moisture to those parched places in the soul. For God and God alone holds alone the water that can satisfy the soul. Only God. Um, I, I may have told you this story um, before. Apologies if I have. But two years ago, I was visiting a man in Cairnforth House who was dying. And I got talking to his landlord. And his landlord told me a story about three men in their 70s who had beautiful wives, lovely family, big homes, businesses, but they all took their lives because they could not find peace and satisfaction in their life. They were filling their lives with all those things and they could not find peace and they took their lives. They were experiencing, if you like, hell on earth. Hell is the absence of Jesus. Hell is a place of inflamed desires of the body and the soul with decreased satisfaction. Hell is a place of endless, unquenchable thirst for God. Erwin Lutzer says, the question for most people is not whether they thirst or not, but how long are we willing to be thirsty for? How long can we go on in our lives avoiding God? You know, for three hours on the cross, Jesus tasted this. He tasted what it was like. No comfort from the Father, no word from the Father, no life from the Father. Jesus tasted that hellish absence. And he tasted it so that every human being could taste the thirst-quenching joys of heaven. He tasted it for us. That is what all of us crave for deep down. We crave for it. And soul thirst can only be quenched by a relationship, a dynamic relationship with Jesus that can only be quenched with that. It can't be quenched by anything else. Jesus himself said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from deep within him. And in the book of Revelation, John promises and talks about heaven, and he says this, never again will they thirst, for the Lamb is at the center of the throne, and he will lead them to springs of living water. The third reason is, Jesus cried out, I thirst, because he thirsted to do the will of God. He thirsted to fulfill God's plan for his life. Why was it that the one on the cross who changed a hundred gallons of water into wine, who fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes, who walked on water, who paid his taxes with a coin from a fish's mouth, and who raised at least three people from the dead, why was it that he didn't say, oh, blast, I'm thirsty, and allow lots of water to pour down his face? An answer is found in the scriptures today, as you can see at the bottom of the little cross there. There was still a messianic prophecy that had not yet been fulfilled. Centuries earlier, David had written this prophetic psalm where it says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Jesus had not yet been given vinegar. So Jesus knew that this detail of his messianic calling had not been fulfilled and it should not be overlooked. So he cried out, I thirst. So it would come to pass. In John 19, 28, which we heard being read today, we read later, knowing that everything had now finished and so that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. A Roman soldier responded to that cry and in verse 29 we read a jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked it in a sponge and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. This was only ordinary vinegar wine that soldiers would take when they were working to slake their own thirst and it was there right at the foot of the cross and Jesus knew that. If there had been water there, they would have given him water but it was wine vinegar. And Jesus knew that that prophecy of David needed to be fulfilled. Jesus cried out not so much that his own thirst might be satiated, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. In other words, that God's will would be perfectly planned out in Jesus' life. A man called F.W. Grant says this, the terrible thirst of crucifixion is upon Jesus, but that is not enough to force those parched lips to speak, I thirst. But it is written, in my thirst they gave me vinegar wine to drink. That is what opened Jesus' mouth. You see, Jesus' prime motivation in his life was to fulfill the will of the Father. This was, this was found in the scriptures. Jesus said to his disciples, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And in the garden of Gethsemane, with the cross in front of him, and struggling to go through with it, he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. In other words, we all identify with that, don't we? Father, don't let me go through this. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. 
Jesus' greatest desire and his motivation in his life was to fulfill the will of the Father, to seek the kingdom of God first. This raises a big question, certainly for me. I don't know about you. Are we willing to ask ourselves, how willing am I to submit to God's word in my life? How willing am I willing to submit to the call of Jesus on my life? Am I willing, however uncomfortable it might be, to do it? And what does it mean to take up the cross and follow me? And as I was writing this for myself, it came to me, um, how willing am I to see Jesus' great desire fulfilled, what he went through on the cross, to see it fulfilled in the lives of the people around me. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, go and preach the gospel to the whole of creation. He said, go and save people from a Christless eternity. That was the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples before the ascension. If it was his last command, it must have been the most important. You know, we can come here, and I point to myself as well, we can come here and sing, I love Jesus on Sunday. But then that must show in our lives when we leave the sanctuary as to how committed we are to seeing the will of the Father being fulfilled in our lives through the word of God. You know, Jesus was totally committed and submitted to God's word. He was totally committed to the will of the Father. He was fulfilling at the moment of his death the will of the Father by crying out, I thirst. Are we? Do we know his will for our lives? I was reading in Thessalonians yesterday where it says, the will of God is that you be sanctified. Sanctified means cleansed from all sin. Cleansed from everything that is not godly. That is the will of the Father. How willing am I to submit to that? How motivated am I to fulfill that? You know, I found that the more that one reads and meditates on the Scriptures, the more that we come to realize God's will for our life in general, but our specific life in particular. And so I think it's a call today for us to get back to meditating on the scriptures, seeking God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength, just as Jesus did. So may we desire and pursue the water of life with all our hearts. It's not a dull drudgery thing, it's a joyous thing because Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. And we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have Christ in us, as we sung today, to help us to do this. And this has eternal consequences for all of us. Eternal consequences. And I want to close just by reading a little scripture from Isaiah, and then I'm going to 
ask us to have a little bit of a pause and a quiet pray. Um, and I just want to read this uh, to you. It's a very famous um, passage from Isaiah 55. And here's the invitation. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and you shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And in verse 6 it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let me pray, and I'd just love us to pause for a moment. We love you, Lord. We love what you did for us on the cross. We love you so much. We want to thank you for the sacrifice that you paid but also for the blessings that you pour out because of your death and resurrection. We thank you for the mighty Holy Spirit that flows from your throne. Lord, help us not to block the flow. Help us to become sluice gates, to receive the water of life, that it might flow through us to others. Help us to know your will for our lives. Help us to be confident in that, Lord, and to walk in it. Lord, I just pray your blessing on all our friends here, Lord, today. As we consider that phrase, I thirst. Jesus, you were thirsty for water. You tasted soul thirst so that we could have heavenly quenching water but you also Lord were thirsty to fulfill your father's will help us all to do that in Jesus name Amen